0: Hello and welcome to another episode of AdventuresIn.Net. I'm Sean Club, your host, and with me today is Caleb Wells. Hey y'all, how's it going? Hey y'all. So it's hey, just hey. you and I. Yeah. Hey, that right? The 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 original
1: two amigos. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's been a fun ride so far. I think so. I mean, we're a little past a year when we first started. And I think, you know, we're getting more listeners. So thanks to all the people that are out there. It's doing great. We hope that you're enjoying the show and, you know, keep up the listening, spread the word and give us feedback. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Do you ever have trouble just getting into the flow? You find that your tool is great, like Visual Studio, but you could just get more out of it or get some stuff out of your way. Or have it give you better feedback that you would be able to get into flow easier? Well, let me tell you about Code Rush. Code Rush actually solves this problem for you. So, the first thing that it does is it actually gives you a visualizer on the way that the code is set up, and it actually helps you debug stuff in an intuitive way that makes it easy for you to figure out what's going on. This really helps me stay in the flow when I'm trying to write code. Another thing that it does is it has a whole bunch of navigation options that you can get used to. Now, this is something that I figured out with Emacs was something that I really got into. So when I started using Emacs, just the key bindings and and kind of the natural flow of things made me a much, much more efficient programmer. And the quick navigation in Code Rush is awesome. You should definitely try it out. They have code analysis, So they'll pick out some of the issues maybe for complexity or diagnose some other code issues that'll point out code smells, it'll help you refactor your code. So the code analysis is another thing where I don't have to actually go in and sit down and think, okay, have I made any mistakes in this code? Because it actually highlights them. And finally, it just validates like your code coverage and all of the other things that you're trying to look at and gives you real numbers and real feedback on the quality of your coding and the quality of your tests. So, go check out Code Rush. You can get it at devexpress.com slash products slash Code Rush, or just go to devchat.tv slash Code Rush and it'll send you to the right place. Once again, that's devchat.tv slash Code Rush. So, what do you want to cover today?
0: It's just you and me. We don't have a guest. What do you right. want to talk about? So, figured we could talk a little
1: bit about my new job, not the company or the, the clients, but the code. Right, I have come into a fairly well-developed application. They've been working on it for maybe nine months or something like that. But everything is in .NET, right, which is our wheelhouse, and it's all MVC. You know, it's all Azure, and some of the stuff is you know stuff that I haven't worked with in a while or worked with at all. So it's been it's been interesting to to kind of come back into this realm where front end,
0: middleware, back end. The whole deal is is all uh, Microsoft products. So the entire stack, huh? No, no front-end framework, JavaScript framework or anything like that? No nope, more angular nope. for you? No. Nope. Well, not not in this project. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
1: we'll, well, we'll see going down the road there. The company work forward, they're they're honestly they're pretty technology agnostic. And so, you know, I've been told that, you know, if another project comes along and I move to that, I I can choose. But this one they just chose. To stick with, I guess, Microsoft, because they're using a lot of the Azure data analytics and data storage stuff. So they're using Data Lake and Power BI and some Synaptic stuff, a bunch of stuff that I'm still digging into and learning. But the application, you know, is your typical class libraries, an MVC web app, and then a Blazor admin app, which which I figured you'd get a kick out of.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Client side or server side Blazor? Server side.
1: Okay. But yeah, you know, like like I said, they're they're pretty like, you know, hey, if you can get it to work and,
0: and are any problems, you can use whatever tech you want. How are they handling state on the the admin? I guess since it's admin, it's not such a big deal if that's it's not. Actually, it's you not push out it's, a change, reset, right. doesn't have, um, have any issues. Okay. Right. Up until this last sprint,
1: admin was only accessible by people at my company, not any of the client users. I actually spent this sprint changing that to set up permissions and access because they want to start letting some of their users into the admin site. But again, like you said, it's not it's not public facing, so that that's not not such a big concern. But I thought we could talk a little bit about MVC and I don't you know, I don't know how significant these changes are in the past year and for people who have been using it all along, they may not be big changes at all, but one of the things that I found really interesting is the razor pages, right? Which is not It's not the original way in MVC, right? Which you've got separate classes and then separate HTML views, right? With Razor in them. It's not Blazor, right? Which has got all of kind of a mishmash inside of their own files. This is very similar to the old school code behind, right? Where you have a CSHTML and then you have a little arrow and you click the arrow and you get the code behind, right? Which at first it seems like maybe you're taking a step back but once you start using it, it's really not the case. And one of the nice things is, right, they're both there in the same place, easy, easily accessible. So, but you know, digging into that and that's been it's it's been interesting, but it's been good. You know, it's it definitely brings back memories. <laughs> huh?
0: So it's all done. It's all in core.
1: Yep. Yep. All .NET core. Okay. Yeah. Three
0: point one.
1: Yes. Three point one.
0: Okay. All right. all right. Are they uh, looking forward to .NET five coming out next month?
1: I don't know that they're, they're all that concerned about it, really. I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be it'll be good. I don't know if this project will be transitioned and if it is when. It's definitely kind of in, in a state of flux where we're having to add a lot of features and build on it and then go back and refactor the stuff we do wrong and the quirks and whatnot. But we'll see. I think .NET 5
0: is going to be great, personally. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen the betas coming out for .NET 5 and been meaning this to fire something up and just kind of to poke around a little bit and see, you know, how much, does it feel different? Or is it just kind of just a normal evolution of, of .NET? Gotcha. Right, right. Well, hopefully it won't feel that different. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. if it feels different, then maybe they did something wrong. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, C Sharp 9, things like that. Yeah. So. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But, you know, so I've been, been digging into the Razor pages and, you know, having to, Tweak startup files and environment variables and all that kind of stuff that that's you know ancillary but takes up you know a day or two, right? When you run into an issue, one of the other things that they're using fairly heavily is areas in MVC. And I know areas have been around for a while now, years maybe even before .NET Core. I'm not I'm not positive on that. But with this application, it's multi-tenant, right? So our client is basically reselling this when they get a client of theirs come in. We basically add in the appropriate areas and and update the config files and spread everything out for this new tenant, right? And that and that's a really a perfect use case for areas,
0: right? So I've never used areas anyway. I, I heard of them, but I didn't really yeah. don't know how they're used. So for our listeners, you know, tell us what what are areas and and you know what use for?
1: Yeah. So so right in MVC, you have your your index and your underscore layout page and your view imports and view start, all, the, all that stuff that combines to make a page in MVC, right? Areas is basically an extension of that. And, and it sits on top of your, your base setup and your base layout and your base index, right? And so the way that we have it set up is you come into the website, you know, at the, the base URL and you're shown, you know, kind of the marketing selling stuff right? But if you update the subdomain on the URL for one of our tenants, then we've got it set up to where it will actually go look in the areas for the the tenant folder in the areas for that tenant. And inside of there, you have your own version of login partial, underscore layout, index, view imports. You don't have to, but in our case, the way that we've developed it each Tenant has their own, wants their own look and feel, right? And they, they want to have their own splash images and their own branding and all that. And this is a, a good use case for areas, right? So you could have 100 and you still have a base layout and base CSS that everything derives from, but you can then tweak it on a case-by-case basis. So
0: areas are kind of a a way to organize everything and make everything that's grouped together kind of way for encapsulation or separation of concerns, that kind of thing? Yeah,
1: right, right. Because we, we don't want you to go to the website and get the look and feel and the info for one tenant on top of another, right? And I'm sure there, there are obviously other ways areas can be used, but I just found this to be an interesting way that they've approached the, the multi-tenant aspect of this application. So that, that was a, another thing that, you know, I've dug into and picked up. One of the other interesting things that I'm having to do more of a deep dive into is Power BI. And Power BI is another Microsoft product. It, it's kind of like uh, data analytics, right, on steroids. Right. You, you have users that go in and they can pull information from database stores and they can build charts and graphs and filters and, and all this aggregation of data, which is really the big selling point of our application. This, this application in particular actually started out tracking and managing COVID data for different hospitals or publicly accessible data that we pulled in, you know, and aggregated into one place and, and were able to see some trends, you know, in, in long-term data modeling, right? And Power BI works in a, in a number of ways, but in order to provide it to end users or customers who don't necessarily have access to it without paying extra licenses. You have to jump through some hoops to embed it into a web page for the end user. And they've got, you know, this long wiki and a lot of documentation on they've even got a playground. But Power BI, I think, really is one of their newer offerings, right? Like in just the last couple of years. And so it's continued to grow and they're adding functionality and things are changing. And, you know, you kind of have to work around some of the limitations. So one of the interesting things that they've done is they're actually, so they've created a partial that's used by all of these areas. And inside that partial, it has an embed tag in it, which basically becomes an iframe, right? But in order to populate that embed tag with the appropriate data based on tenant right, and keep that that segregation. They've actually created a tag helper, which is a built-in functionality in a VC, but it allows you to basically target certain elements and tell it what attributes to look for and how you're going to be providing those attributes. And so what they've got set up is when you go to... tenant and you then log in and you're presented with a list of all the reports they have access to. When they click on one of them, it then starts this task process async and it starts to build the view context for that page. And in our case, it's building it and then it's getting values out of the tag helper context and then pushing them into the view bag for that page, which is interesting. And then it's pulling those attributes out of the view bag. in in pushing them into the embed, which then calls Power BI and it says, okay, yeah, you're legit. And it loads up the the associated report. So I thought that this is something I haven't dug into much and hadn't hadn't really seen used in this way but it's it works really well it's 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 honestly very it's a elegant way of doing it because right you have one tag helper class that is extending the microsoft tag helper you have one partial that's being reused among all of the areas and then you just have to you know embed that partial in the appropriate page in those areas and you're off and running so some cool
2: stuff there have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it. The only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just you need something like that there. And Rain Gun is awesome at this. They they just added the performance monitoring which is really slick and it works like a breeze. I I just I love it. I love it. It's like it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's going to save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let, let's face it. Grepping through logs is no fun and having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They're definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at adventuresin.net.com slash Raygun.
0: So this is all Azure, right?
2: Yeah. All the
1: Power BI stuff exists in Azure.
0: Yeah. Everything for this application is it Azure or is it, or
1: is it a hybrid model? Um, no, yeah. Everything's in Azure. Sorry. Yeah. We have the admin app and the web app. They're apps running in Azure as services. Yeah, it's yeah. Locally though, of course, I'm I am, you know, testing on my machine. One interesting thing that they've set up though, and you just made me think of this, is this app also uses Cosmos DB a good bit right, which is NoSQL, you know, that's the simplified is NoSQL. But we don't have a local developer, Cosmos or SQL Server or anything like that. They actually have it set up inside of Azure to use your local 127.0.0.1, but then use our staging keys and data. And Azure ties that all in. So locally, I can do an F5, spin up my dev, and have access to all the data in staging locally. Because if you're not using any of the emulators,
0: then you're not using. No. No.
1: I don't know if it's something that's common in Azure, but it's something that my coworkers got up and running and it makes development so much simpler, right? Because it's one less thing you have to worry about. It's all managed somewhere
0: else. Right. And, and the project that I'm using, we started out using Cosmos DB and we switched okay. over to using uh, Blob Storage really as the storage mechanism because it's Blob Storage is a lot cheaper than Cosmos. Yes. Yeah. Right. But then we're we're using their emulators for doing local development work.
1: Okay. Yeah. If, if you want, you and I can talk more about this offline, but I thought it was interesting. I was like, oh, that actually works. He's like, yeah, yeah. The only downside is we don't actually have, and maybe it's not a downside, we don't have a dev environment for Cosmos or for, or power bi for any of that stuff we just have a staging and a production and Dev and staging use the staging and in our case that actually works out well because like you said this stuff is
0: expensive you know tens of thousands of dollars a month depending on how you're using it <laughs> yeah yeah it's yeah it's my project you know they've they've got week four different environments you know a devs a test a stage and a production type of yeah. type thing and so right. we're really looking at you know what is the most efficient you know use, and that's why we went to you know and we don't need that instant transaction ability that Cosmos DB has, that mm-hmm. kind of load for right. the most part. on for gotcha. you know if something comes to that point, we'll switch and use part Cosmos DB, but just using blob storage yeah. ends up working out well for us.
1: Good, All right? I guess a lot of it depends on the client too. Our, our client is not really concerned about money. <laughs> Well, you know, as long as it's not a hundred thousand dollars a month, they're not concerned. Yeah, it's good to have clients like that. Right, right. You know, that's actually one of the things my coworkers said when I when I came on. They're like, just so you know, this application is on the bleeding edge. Right. Everything we're doing was either in preview or is still in preview. <laughs> And so we're figuring it out as we go along, but I've been in it now for a month and man, it, it works out well. The guys that I'm working with are smart. You know, they, they know what they're doing. They've, you know, you have some roadblocks and there's some things where you cut corners with the client, you come back and clean it up, but all in all, it's, it's well-built and they've got a lot of, they figured out a lot of neat ways of, of utilizing the, the Microsoft stack to benefit us and the client, you know, and have minimal time on our end to get a tenant spin up and, and it. It's not. It's not a lot of rigmarole or a whole new application, right? So it's good. So you like the bleeding edge? Is that one of the things that kind of made you you know want to switch? No, you know I switched because well it was it was time. You know I like a challenge, right? Yes, I, I do like to push myself and I and I like figuring new things out. And I felt like I'd kind of gotten in a bit of a, a rut. You know, I I, I gotten too comfortable in the last job. Bleeding edge is nice as long as it's not like cut your arteries bleeding edge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, 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 I definitely know what you mean, yeah.
1: yeah. I, I like bleeding edge as long as it works, it's production ready and there's enough documentation for me to figure it out, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be fully baked it doesn't have to have you know hundreds of pages of documentation i just you know you, you want a minimum you have a minimum expectation of what it's going to do in a production environment and then you know i can figure it out from there
0: right yeah i i gotta prefer to be on the cutting edge not the not the bleeding edge right. <laughs> maybe the dull cutting edge <laughs> <laughs> there you go Right. Well, hey, you're beyond web forms, right? At least for the most part. Yep. yep. I am not working on web forms in my main position anymore right now. So I still do some side stuff that I've got to deal with the web forms, but still trying to get out of those as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah.
1: But no, it's amazing what you can do with just the .NET stack. And I guess you could really say that about anything, right? If someone was a PHP wizard, it's like, it's amazing what you can do with PHP, right? <laughs> but I don't do PHP. But, you know, I think we've talked about this in previous episodes where .NET is everywhere, right? And it just keeps, for lack of a better term, expanding and getting its tendrils in all these places you wouldn't necessarily expect, like Blazor, right? You know, which, to me, makes... The .NET framework that much more valuable for me, right? Because it is it is my primary stack, right? It's it's what I'm the most familiar with. It's where I have the most experience. And if
0: I can just continue to build on that, man, I'm I'm rolling. Are you doing testing? Or are you doing test driven de- development or anything along those lines? Not yet. Like I said, I think this project has been
1: a little too, little too bleeding edge, right? The iterations are, are pretty quick, which is good.
0: But right, TDD is something you need practice at. You need time to do. Yeah, <laughs> I, I could really I speak to that right now. My current project, you know, I haven't done a lot of testing before, but they yeah. really want to do a lot for this. And gotcha. it's just, I'm just finding that, you know, it takes me three, four times as much time writing all the tests to To get the the code coverage and all the different things written, unit tests, integration tests, functional tests, you know, three, four times, I'll spend a day working on the code, and then three or four days working on the test for that code. It's like, man, that's a lot of overhead, you know, so... If you Well, if you right, need it, right. Make sure over time it's worth it, right? As
1: long as they're good tests, they're not brittle, right? And you're actually, you know, running them and, and using some kind of right continuous integration, they're absolutely viable. Especially the larger the application gets. Right? Yeah, and That's I'm alluding learning.
0: Yeah. I'm learning brand new patterns, you know, for writing cool. code. To make yeah. things that are testable, because you know, before in my code, I guess a lot of thing was probably a little too tightly coupled, mm. and I couldn't break it out and separate it to be tested. And you can't right. do that if you want to have good tests. Nope, nope, you cannot. No, nope. we're using the the mock um, the you framework. Oh yeah, and, and we're also using like auto fixture with XUnit. Yeah. So these are all new technologies that I haven't used before. So it's it's interesting, but it's just it's. Right now it's slow, you know. Trying to mm. figure out how that's done. Right.
1: Well, from the sound of you, picked all good ones. I've used all those before as well. For instance, you know, in unit over X unit, and in unit's great, but for for my needs and for the way I was testing and building things out, X unit was a better fit. So, yeah. Well, I think if you're good, we'll wrap up for day.
0: We'll make this a short one, but we'll be back, guys. Right? We're not going anywhere. Yep, we're not going anywhere. It's almost <laughs> the holiday season, but we got some guests lined up. So, stay tuned. Leveling up is
2: important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. Yep. Should do be you good. want to do picks? I
0: can do a, a quick pick. Okay. I think I'm going to pick drive in movie theaters. Oh, I, I remember nice. they, were, they were very common when I was a kid. My right. mom used to take me and my brothers out to them, things like that. Yeah. You know, I also remember yeah. being a, a real little kid and some friends wanted to go to movies and, you know, they'd throw me down on the floor of the car and put a blanket <laughs> over me so they don't have to pay for me to get in. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that kind of thing. But, you know, it's it's a way to be socially distanced in these times and right. get out of the house and watch something entertaining and still be safe. So Good. drive-in movie theaters are, are my pick. Perfect. Well, my pick is right in line with what I've been talking about,
1: work-related. For work, they let me pick out my own PC as long as it was under $2,000. And I ended up getting the HP Spectre X360. And, man, this thing is sweet. And the display is ridiculous. So,
0: yeah. Nice. Yes. Yeah. Nice. I've got two Lenovo's and one Dell laptop. I actually have three Lenovo's. One's personal. One's for my the company that I work for. And yeah. the other one's for a company that I'm working on a project that they got to have, you know, security and things like that. So it's its own laptop. Catch. And then Catch. I have a I also have a Dell for another project they're working on. So <laughs> I've, got, I've got two desktops and four laptops. And they all kind of—they're all good. I've always had good luck with Lenovo, so those are good. But the Dell that I'm working on has been working just fine well as well. My desktop—I got an Alienware PC, so it's really oh, yeah. souped up and ready. Yeah. And I've got a VR headset on order, so nice. I'm be trying out some of that stuff. So, well, you can never have too many PCs, right?
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Don't tell my wife. Okay, I'll, I'll keep it between us. <laughs> all right,
0: <laughs> all right, Sean. Thanks, Caleb. Well, Yep, yeah, Thank you. And, and we'll see y'all later. Yep. If you want to reach out to the show, you want to get in touch with me, get me on Twitter at .NET Superhero.
2: All right. Bye, y'all. Thanks, guys. We'll catch everybody on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by CashFly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with CashFly. Visit dot com to learn more.